Good stuff. Well, again, welcome to Cheney Faith Center. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. And like Pastor Kate was saying, we've been in this series this whole summer in the book of Joshua, and it's all about victory. It's all about the victory that we have in the Lord and in, in, in Jesus. And we have these bracelets that she mentioned to remind us to, to live in victory. And if you haven't got one of these bracelets, we have extras out in the Next Steps area. But it's just a great reminder that throughout your daily life, just to look down and be like, that's right. Like God has given us victory in Jesus. I'm gonna live in victory. Just to have that truth to kind of power you through whatever's happening. And I think Kate uh, mentioned a, a, a global truth that we all experience, and that's, hey, we have moments of victory. God gets total victory. Then there's those seasons of life. There's some defeat, and there's some hardships, and I think we all experience, I think, I mean, show of hands is probably like, yeah, like I've had some hard seasons even after victory. And we're going to read about that in chapter 7, where the nation of Israel out of a total victory with Jericho collapsing and them taking over that, then go to the next city and have complete defeat. And we're going to see what the Lord is doing within that, where it's not just about the defeat, but it's about what's going on in the nation of Israel. And so today's message, I'm going to kind of title, Victory Out of Defeat. That no matter what, whatever is happening, even if it's defeat, there's going to be victory found in that from the Lord. And so to kind of give us some context in case there's been a few weeks of vacation for some of us, uh, we've just gotten done with Jericho collapsing. So Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel um, to and through the promised land. They have crossed the Jordan River. They are now taking what was rightfully theirs, dedicated by God, the promised land. And they're kind of going city by city um, to take over and claim back what is theirs. And that's the promised land. So we just were in chapter six, and that's that famous story of the walls of Jericho that collapsed. And God had total victory in that moment. And so the nation of Israel is riding high. They're like, wow, like God is doing miracles. God has done miracles. Like we are victorious. We're going to keep pressing on. And so that's the context that we're leading up to right into chapter 7. And we're going to begin right in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 7 and kind of weave in and throughout the rest of the chapter in today's message. Before we do that, I would like us to pray. Lord God, thank you so much again for this privilege to, to hear from your word, Lord, the truth that is found in that. Holy Spirit, speak through me this morning. Open up our hearts and our minds to, to be reminded of your truth and be challenged by that truth, Lord, but to, but to be reminded of your, your, your love and your grace and your victory that you have in our lives through your son, Jesus, Lord. So God, speak to us this morning, and then we give you the honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Joshua chapter 7. The verses will be behind me. Um, it'll be in the New Living Translation, so that's what I'll be uh, reading from. And it says this in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, again, right after victory in Jericho. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Quick little comma there. God was angry with the Israelites, not just Achan. That'll kind of play in throughout the rest of today's um, talk. Uh, so Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 2. 
Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. Again, context, had that huge victory. They just demolished Jericho, which was a stronghold. Now this city of Ai is not a stronghold, just a normal city. They're kind of feeling a little like cocky, kind of like, we're good, we're good. Verse four, so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Verse 6, Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in, their land, living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? Now, just before the previous chapter, they were like, God, you are amazing. You are awesome. Your name is great. It is made famous. Everybody knows how powerful you are. And then with a snap of a finger, they turn. They're like, Lord, like, you're kind of making us look bad here, man. And they're given this context of like, why did you bring us out of slavery and bondage in Egypt to then be killed? Like, we, we would have been fine being slaves. That's what, essentially what they're saying. Like, why do this? And what's interesting about this narrative and this, in this instance is usually in historical documents, a defeat like this would not be included in their writings. It's pretty embarrassing because they got their behinds handed to them like in a pretty big way. This usually would not be included in historical writings. But what I think is really interesting is the writers of this, the Old Testament, wanted this whole context to be in there to show what the true meaning of this defeat meant for not only the nation of Israel, but God's power in it. So what I find interesting is this defeat is actually going to show victory in what God is doing. So there's victory out of defeat. So what was their reaction? The nation of Israel, this whole defeat happened. They're face down, they're throwing dust on their head. They're essentially yelling and or cursing at God, telling him that he has no idea what he is doing. Their reaction is fear and blame. They're fearful. They're fearful for what God's name's gonna look like now and that the other nations are gonna hear about this defeat. They're gonna gang up on them and just wipe them off the earth. So, they're, so they're, they're fearful. But then they also take that fear and they blame God. They tell him, this is your fault. There's fear and blame involved right away in this defeat. Because the verse says they were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events and their courage melted away. In an instant, 
over 40 years of God's faithfulness, they just forgot about. Forgot about God taking them out of Egypt under Pharaoh's control. Forgot about the Red Sea, a pillar of fire leading them through the wilderness for 40 years. Manna, doves falling from heaven, the Jordan River being stopped up like miracle after miracle after miracle in an instant is melted away. They were quick to forget who God is and what his plan, his victory really means. And if you notice in that section of verses that we read, it never said that the Lord went before them to the town of Ai. In Jericho, it said that. The Lord went before them and had a victory for them. In this one, they were going in their own power. They were kind of feeling good. They were like, we're good, man. Like, we're just going to go. We're going we're to take this thing. No, no, no. God had different plans for the nation of Israel. So they were fearful. And again, that fear transfers to blame, and they blame God for the situation that they are in. This is your fault, God. Why would you let this happen? And they, they just curse out the Lord and say, you are making us look like fools, like you are a fool. And they're making this a big, big deal. So their first response in a time of defeat was to point up and blame God. This is your fault. This is your problem. You need to fix it. But what God is going to show them, it's not about pointing up. It's about pointing in, about pointing inward. So our first point this morning is this. What do we do when we have moments of defeat? Do we point the responsibility upwards or inwards? What's our first reaction of like, this is your fault, God? Or is it, hmm, Lord, show me what needs to get right with you? What is our first reaction? Too often, I fall in the one of pointing straight up. Why, God, why? Like, why is this happening? And I get mad and I get angry. What we're gonna find is the Lord is leading them to a deeper relationship and a deeper understanding of his victory even when it is in moments of defeat. So again, as humans, we want to shift the responsibility away from us. This is something that's kind of ingrained in who we are, right? If we go even back to the Genesis account of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, God comes to them and says, hey, like, what's going on? Because they had eaten of the fruit and sin has now entered the world. Um, he approaches Adam, Adam says, it was the woman, right? He shifts blame. Then he goes to Eve and Eve said, it was the snake. Like from day one, this is something that we as humans have ingrained in us. We don't want to take responsibility. We don't want to own up that there's maybe something wrong with us. We want to shift the blame somewhere else. And a lot of times we shift that blame upward. And that's what we see here in the account with Joshua. Is he's saying, God, what the heck are you doing like, you led us here, and now we're just going to get slaughtered? Like, this is your issue. You need to fix it. So there was a pointing upwards and not inwards. Now, this defeat occurs because of a direct defilement of God by a member of the Jewish community named Achan. If you remember in the previous chapter, there's a section where God gives direct instructions for the whole nation to not take anything from Jericho, 
to not rebuild it, not do any of that, because if they do, he will basically wipe them out. He gives that instruction. So I want to go back really quick to chapter 6 and verse 18 and 19. This is God's direct instructions. He says this, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring, tr you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So there's a direct instruction from God to the whole nation, to everyone, of saying, here is the deal. Like, we're all on the same page? And they were like, yes. But what we see, what we find out is Achan was like, eh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And so God is just doing what he said he would do. He's saying, well, I'm not going to be with you. And that is why the nation of Israel is in this season of defeat is because they are in direct disobedience to God and what has happened. So I want to jump down now to, uh, to verse 10 in chapter 7 and pick up more of what Joshua is saying. And, um, and Joshua, again, just got done kind of cursing out the Lord. And here's what I love is God doesn't really be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He just comes back with some tough love back to Joshua. And sometimes I think we need some tough love, right? Of just somebody maybe just say the truth. It, it'll, it'll sting, it'll hurt, but we just might need that. It says this in, in verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? I can just almost like hear like the like, dude, like, come on, seriously. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And, the, and they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. God brings an ultimatum to this situation. Do you guys remember ultimatums like from your parents? Like you're at like a nice restaurant and you're kind of like being weird with like your brother or sister and you're being annoying and your mom or dad's like, all right, one more thing and we are out of here. I'm gonna make a spectacle and we're gonna move out of here. And you're like, oh, okay. There's always that ultimatum. Well, God is essentially doing this. Now again, from a cultural historical perspective, um, this is a big deal in what's happened in Achan taking these items that were dedicated for the Lord and also dedicated to be destroyed. This is actually a pretty big deal. Now, in the general culture of this time, both the nation of Israel, but also the pagan cultures around in the Egyptian areas, up into the Middle East and, and, and beyond, it was a general rule of thumb that if there's any items dedicated for temple worship, whether pagan or sacred for like the Lord, if you, anybody took that, it was a direct instant death penalty. That was just the standard. Everybody understood that. Everybody knew that. If there's anything dedicated for temple worship and you take that, boom, instant death penalty. So this is not like a new punishment that the nation of Israel is like, whoa, this is heavy. This is just like the standard, kind of what everybody understood and knew. And so they had that already. Now I want to I jump down to verse 21 to understand what did Achan take for himself. And it says this in verse 21. 
Achan says, among the plunder of Jericho, after they destroyed Jericho, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So the items, a robe from Babylon, six pounds of silver and about a pound and a half of gold, that is worth about a lifetime of a common worker's wages in that time. So that was like in our context today, it'd be like a little over a million bucks. Like it's a pretty good chunk of change that he took for himself and was hiding. Now that robe from Babylon, just a robe, right? No, that had very um, big significance because that was a pagan robe that meant pagan theologies and pagan thought processes, which they are basically taking over. It'd be like almost today if somebody from the Jewish community was in Germany during the World War II and said, I'm going to take all of the nice, really like cool Nazi war camp uniforms and take that with me because I think it's awesome. The Jewish community would be like, no, like that, no, like that was a horrible culture. They, they wanted to kill us. It would not fly. And so that's what this guy is doing. He's taking things that were supposed to be destroyed and or dedicated to the Lord. He's taking them, but he's lying about it. He's hiding it and he's burying them deep within his own life and his own walk within the nation of Israel. Now, something that is important that Achan says, he says, I wanted them so much. I just wanted them really, really bad. What we see in that is his desire to want something ungodly. That lust, that desire of like, I really, really want that. Then what we see with that is his pride coming in, thinking that he can handle that sinful desire. I'll just, I'll just take it. And I'll, I'll just hide it. I'll just bury it deep, the silver even deeper than that. It'll be good. Like, I got this. What we see is this pattern of allowing sin to take a foothold and for then for the sin and the desire of that to then control his life and for him not to give that over and give that victory over that happened at Jericho to the Lord. He wanted to hold on to the past, hold on to the sins of the past and allow that to still be a foothold on his life and not truly stepping forward in complete total victory in what God had won previously at Jericho, he was still allowing the past to stay strong in who he was as a person. And that was causing havoc on the whole Jewish community. Like I said earlier, God directed towards the Jewish community, not just Achan. Because in this time, being a, being a nomadic tribe, the nation of Israel, they were like one body. They were all connected. So this sin from Achan really went throughout the whole nation of Israel. And that's why God is dealing with the nation of Israel as a whole in this time. Well, I think the same pattern holds true for us as well. This pattern of desire, and thinking through that desire, letting that desire actually take hold. And for us saying like, I want that, taking it, and then thinking, I can handle this. This is something that, that I can actually deal with. Yeah, I know it's not great, it's not godly, but I got this. I got this relationship. I got this habit. I got this thought process. Whatever it might be, we try to tell ourselves, 
we got this. Like, it just be a quick moment, then I'm going to move on. What we see here is it's not that easy, is that desire and that sin and that pride never fully goes away unless that person repents of it, turns from it, and steps forward again in total victory of what God has planned for them. And again, this pattern holds true throughout scriptures. It's not just right here with Achan. We see that in King David. We see that in Samson. We see that in pretty much every Old Testament king within the nation of Israel is they have these moments of desire. They try to contain their desire, then they fall into it, then they try to handle it their own, and it never works out. It never works out when they try to do something on your own and hide it from the Lord. It never works out. It just never does. So God had total victory in Jericho, but Achan was still holding on to some of the past. And I think for us in our present day, we have total victory in Jesus. When we say yes to him and we repent of the things that once were, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is made clear and evident throughout scripture. But there's times where we allow desire and pride to take over what God has already won. We allow that desire to kick in and we have that pride kick in thinking like, I got this, like, it'll be good. Like next week, the sin will not be in my life anymore. Like, it'll be all right. I got this. What we see is we don't got this. And I want to just jump quickly to the New Testament in the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians about this concept, about this theology, and even making mentions back to the nation of Israel, because he is a Jew, he is a Hebrew, he makes mention again of how we are set apart from what was, and we are new creations. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, 18, Paul says this, whenever someone turns to the Lord, that means says yes to Jesus, turns away from a life of sin and forward to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. When we are Christ followers, we turn from that sinful lifestyle, and then we reflect who God is. And that's the new, the newness, the, the new creation in who God is. We don't reflect what once was. And what we see back in Joshua is Achan was reflecting what once was. God had total victory in Jericho, but he was still kind of stuck in that area and reflecting the sins of the past. That's not God's plan. That's not God's heart. God's heart is total victory. Then we walk forward from that total victory, claiming victory in every other part of our life. But when we have moments of defeat, we don't point upwards, we point inwards and say, all right, Lord, what's going on here? What do you want to grow me in? What do you want to show me more of your love in? What's going on? And we allow the Holy Spirit to refine who we are as Christ follows. And like it says there, we reflect and are changed more into God's glorious image. Now I want to continue on in 2 Corinthians in this letter that Paul is talking to, but go to chapter 6. And he says this 
And what union can there be between God's temple? This is chapter 6, verses 16 through chapter 7. It's just one big thought that, that Paul was putting together. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you and I will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Our call is to move forward in God's holiness in response to God's total victory. We don't stay in the ways that once were. We have repentance from the things that lead us away from God because the results of living a life against God, he says, is spiritual death. It's death. It's pretty black and white there. So Paul is calling us upward to say, continue forward in that total victory that God, had, that God has with his son, Jesus. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. Let's repent and let's move forward. And again, we don't do this to get a check mark by God to say like, sweet, good, we're good, we're good. We do this out of response from the grace and the mercy that God offers us, this new life and the salvation in him. Now, further on in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, and in context to this letter to the Corinthians that's fairly harsh and calls them out, he says, now I'm glad I sent it, that letter, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, our last point this morning is this. Don't just be sad or beat yourself up about what you once were. Turn from it. Paul makes this very, very clear. He says, we're going to have moments of repentance, but don't just be like sad about it. Actually repent, actually turn from what was once in your life. Turn from that ungodly desire. Turn from that ungodly thought process, whatever it might be, turn from it. Don't just be like, oh man, I, I, I was an idiot. Cool, and turn right back to it. No, turn from it and walk away from what that was. Have that repentance. And so Joshua, back now in the context of Joshua 7, he had some stinking thinking. That's what Pastor Mark likes to call it, stinking thinking. He was just like, God, you're the worst, this, that, and uh, just mad, just kind of going around, just being mad about the whole situation. God calls him up, and God calls him out as well. And he says, Joshua, let's repent. Let's purify, let's purify ourselves and move forward as a nation. He's saying we are done with this sin. It's done. Let's move forward. So what happens in kind of an awkward situation is they have the whole nation pres uh, present 
and they actually call out and they whittle it down to Achan and his family of who was the guilty party in that sin. So they, they actually get pinpointed to where that sin is in their nation. And it was Achan. It was Achan and his family. And this is what happens here in Joshua chapter 7 in verses 24 and through 26. It says, Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. This is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. The Lord was no longer angry. God did what he said he was going to do. And this sounds super harsh, and it is very harsh. I was actually debating if I wanted to, like, share this. It's like, man, like, that's a damper on the party. Like, the whole, the whole family is just gone, right? But here, here's what we find theologically and historically is throughout the Old Testament, God set laws and precedents and scenarios for punishments in different contexts. And usually, he would separate just the one sinner out. Whoever it was that was guilty of murder or this or that, usually it was the one person that was set out and the family wouldn't be attached to that. But there's a few incidences, and this is one of them, where God says, no, it's bigger than just that. And it usually comes after a direct instruction previously, which happened. Remember, God said before Jericho, don't take anything or your family is going to get destroyed. So usually God will give a precedent that lets everybody know where he stands because he means business and it's serious. He understands that there is a root of sin that can take hold and spread throughout the nation of Israel. So he makes this precedent very, very clear. And that's why Achan and the rest of his family get stoned and get burned. It's because God means business. And that's a hard truth to swallow sometimes. That's what we see here. Is he says, hey, the stakes are very, very high. We are in a new promised land. We are in a new area. And I want us to be in here pure. And he's also noticing and needs to take out a toxicity within the nation of Israel. So that's what he does. It's hard, but that's, God. again, God's ways are higher than our ways. And he knows and he understands what needs to happen. So in this case, he does that. And he carries out that, that punishment on Achan and his family. God rids out what was trying to creep back in and that was not total repentance by the nation of Israel in this sin in the past. Now, to not sound harsh for us here, but to bring this into some context, I think we as well need to have another moment of repentance where we say, Lord, this is something in my life that I've been hiding, I've been trying to deal with on my own that really only I know about. And you know what that is. The Holy Spirit can tell you what that is. And I think I want to give an opportunity for us to repent of those things and to not have a pattern like Achan where we think we can just handle it. We can hide it. We can continue on 
in this new life of total victory with this kind of thorn that just keeps bugging us. I want to give us the opportunity to repent fully of what God has had total victory in through his son, Jesus. So what's going to happen is in the seat backs in front of you, there's a little popsicle stick. It's not a tongue depressor. It's a popsicle stick. Um, and, and there's also going to be a pen in one of those seat backs as well. The worship team's just going to play a song of reflection. And I want you to have a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to write some things down. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's two, maybe it's five. On that popsicle stick with that pen, write it down and hold on to it. And at the end of that song, I want to come up and as a church family, in the name of Jesus, we're going to break those things and just break it and say, Lord, you have victory in those things. I'm, I'm going to repent from that. I'm going to turn from that and move forward in your victory in every part of my life. Again, victory out of defeat. So yeah, I feel defeated in this sin. I feel defeated in this habit. I feel defeated in this thought process. But we're going to have victory in that defeat to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so just take a moment as the, as the worship um, team plays just to reflect on that. Lord Jesus, we just come before you just as we are, and that's in some moments of defeat, Lord. And we want to just point inward right now, and Holy Spirit, to continue to refine parts of who we are that don't align with your word, don't align with your instructions, with who you are, Jesus. We want to turn from that and repent from that. So I want to just, as a church, invite us to stand up right now and hold your little popsicle stick. And I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, this is broken. And we're going to break that all together as a church. I'm going to pray a little bit before that. And you'll hear the cue. And we'll all do it together. And hopefully the snaps will echo around. And it'll be a cool moment. Um, Lord Jesus, again, we're thankful that you have total victory in our lives through your son, Jesus. And God, we take a moment to repent of things that are still, we're holding on to, that we think we can handle, that we've buried deep and even deeper in some things, Lord. And we just want to unbury that. We want to repent of that, confess that. For Lord, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful to forgive. We claim that truth this morning. And, and Lord, we hold these popsicle sticks that have the things that are written personally from us, things that we want to turn from, repent of, and no longer be a part of our life. And so, Lord, we hold this popsicle, this popsicle stick, and in your amazing and powerful name, in Jesus' name, we break this. It's no longer a part of who we are. We turn from it. We walk away from that. We walk forward in your victory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.